Good morning, church family. It's good to see you this morning. Glad that we are here together. If you have your Bibles, turn to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. That's where we'll begin today. If you want to use one of the Pew Bibles, that starts on page 984. One of the Pew Bibles, Colossians chapter 2. Page 984 will be there here in just a few minutes. I uh, appreciate Don taking the time to mention so many of the activities that we've got going on. Just a few that he uh, did not mention that I want to make sure that we talk about. Uh, August is a busy month. Uh, of course, we've got all the regular things that we do, the regularly scheduled events, but we have uh, three special events on three Saturdays in a row. So it's going to be very busy, uh, but I want to let you know about those. The first Saturday uh, in August, we have our Men's Day. So men, we hope that you'll come out and be a part of that. Uh, we've got a guest speaker coming in. We're actually going to be over at uh, Sam Brown place and we're going to have uh, some outdoor activities and some lessons and just some fellowship together some good food so men I hope that you'll come and be a part of that uh, ladies the next Saturday uh, there's a ladies day that is uh, going to be here at the building looking forward to that yeah, there's uh, information about that all around the building and on the flyers and in your bulletin uh, so make sure you check that out and sign up for to be a part of that and then the third Saturday in August we have a uh, singing Saturday so if you love to sing especially if you're a song leader but really for anybody uh, if you love to sing learning about singing learning to uh, be a better singing uh, singer to the Lord uh, that would be a great opportunity for that and there'll be already is some information in the bulletin and will be more information coming so uh, lots of things going on in August on Saturdays uh, lots of other activities uh, listen, I know that you can't be at everything because you have other things going on in your life. I realize that. I recognize that. All of us do. Uh, but we want to provide these opportunities for you to be active, uh, for you to be a part of these uh, good events, uh, to grow your faith uh, and to help your family on its journey towards heaven. So we encourage you uh, to be a part of as many of those as we can. Of course, uh, goes without saying, but I'll say it anyway. Of course, if you're not taking advantage of our Bible classes on Sunday mornings or Wednesday nights, uh, you're missing out. It's a great opportunity for you to be a part of those things. We've got some great teachers who are putting in a lot of effort into making good lessons. Uh, so I hope that you'll come and be a part of those things as well. So many great things to be a part of here at JA. It is a blessing to be a part of the family here. Uh, last week we were in Colossians uh, chapter 1 and we were talking about uh, the Christ of the church and learning about this Jesus who we're supposed to follow. And in Colossians chapter 2 verses 6 and 7 it says there, therefore as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Having been firmly rooted and built up in him and having been established in your faith, just as you were instructed and abounding with thanksgiving. So again, that, that verse six, listen to it again. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him. We talked about and have talked about over the last several months the importance of Jesus Christ being our Lord. He's not just the Lord. He's my Lord. He's the one who I have decided to follow. And I don't do it perfectly, but I strive to do it faithfully. And in chapter 1, we'll remember that last week we said that Paul tells the Colossians, uh, the Christians in Colossae, uh, to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. And then in the rest of chapter 1, it talked about, well, who is this Lord that I'm supposed to walk worthy of? How do I walk worthy of him? He's the creator and the sustainer. He's the firstborn from the dead. He has a resurrection, unlike anybody else's resurrection, a victory over death that gives us the hope of victory over death. And that's the Lord that I'm supposed to follow. I have named him not only as Christ, recognizing who he is, but I have accepted him as my Lord. I'm going to try and follow him. He's going to make a difference in my life. 
And Paul is making the point in chapter 2, throughout the rest of chapter 2, that we won't take the time to cover today. We'll be in chapter 3 mostly. Uh, that In chapter 2, the, the Christians in the city of Colossae and in ancient Rome in the first century world, uh, they had a lot of things pulling at them. Uh, they had a culture that was pulling at them. They had religious culture that was pulling at them. They had political culture that was pulling at them. They had the wisdom of the day that was pulling at them. And in essence, Paul says to them, hey, you're a Christian now. You learned, you recognize the foolishness of man's wisdom and the failure of man-made religion with its laws and traditions. And he encourages them and challenges them. And he would say the same thing to us today. Don't go back to those things. You recognize that that man's wisdom falls short of the wisdom of God and that man-made religion and man-made rules, they, they actually keep us from God and the things that he wants us to enjoy. So don't go back to those things. You see, that's, that's actually a, a consistent and a, a frequent uh, teaching in the New Testament because there's, there's cities all over the Roman Empire where there are Christians. And in each of these cities, uh, these Christians are challenged with, hey, no, you need to go back to these old gods that you used to serve. Or, hey, you need to make sure that you are focusing on uh, the Roman emperor above any other king in the world. You see, Paul, Paul also tells the Galatians. In Galatians chapter 1, verse 7, he says, I marvel at you. I'm confused that you have so quickly deserted the Lord who you said you were going to follow, Jesus Christ. In in chapter 5 and verse 7 of Galatians, he says, listen, you were running well. What has hindered you? What's gotten in the way? You had committed yourselves to be a follower of Jesus, and now you're not doing that. What's gotten in the way? And then John will tell the church in Ephesus in Revelation chapter um, 2 and verse 4 that they were doing all kinds of great things. They were doing things that were the right things to do. But he said, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. So in the first century world, Christians were challenged to actually follow Jesus. Not just to say they were Christians. Not just to say they were disciples of Christ. Not just to name Jesus as their Lord, but for Jesus to actually make a difference in the way they live their life. And Colossians chapter 3 is all about that. So let's dig into Colossians chapter 3 this morning and see how the things that were written 2,000 years ago are just as applicable to us today as they were then. In Colossians chapter 3 verses 1 and 2, he begins a discussion on the flesh versus the faith. He says in Colossians 3, 1, Therefore... If you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things that are on the earth. Now, verse 2 is certainly something that may be the best application for us. Set your mind on things above and not things on the earth. But we need to circle back and and focus on some of the words in verse number 1. Therefore, if, okay, well, there's a question there. If you have been raised up with Christ, what does that mean? Uh, you, you need to know if, it, if he's talking about you, if you have been raised up with Christ. Well, is he talking about me or is he not talking about me? Well, thankfully, Scripture always answers the question itself. Go back to chapter 2 and let's read verses 11 through 13. In whom, that's Jesus, in Jesus you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, in the removal of the body of the flesh, in the circumcision of Christ. Now, We set the stage a little bit and we understand that in the Old Testament, the the Jews were commanded to have physical circumcision as a sign of the covenant or the agreement or the promises made between them and God. But here he's not talking about the circumcision of the flesh. He's talking about a circumcision of faith. 
Now, it is a removal of the, the fleshly body, but not a literal removal of the fleshly body. You see, that the question is going to be here for them 2,000 years ago and for you today is are you dead to your fleshly desires and are you alive to Christ? Let's keep reading uh, in verse number 11. Uh, Verse number 12, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised up. Okay, verse number chapter three, verse one. If you have been raised up, chapter two, verse 12, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead and you being dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your faith have made, he has made you alive with him having graciously forgiven all of your sins. So this morning, have you been raised up with Christ? Well, Colossians chapter 2 says that if you have been buried with him in baptism through the working of God in baptism, you have been raised up with Christ to walk in newness of life is what Romans chapter 6 would describe it as. So if you're a follower of Jesus, you've been baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins. You've raised up out of that watery grave of baptism and now you're to live a new life. So if that's you this morning, then when he says in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 1, therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, then he's talking about you. Now, some of us aren't there. Some of us are there. But I imagine most of us, if not just about all of us here this morning, have an interest in following Jesus and being a follower of Jesus. Let's continue and see what else he has to say. In verse number 5, he talks about this idea of being dead to the flesh. Let's read verses 5 through 9. Therefore, because you are a follower of Jesus this morning, you are a Christian, therefore consider the members of your earthly body as dead to sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. Again, there's this conversation not only here in in Colossians, but in a number of books that Paul writes in a number of books of the New Testament is, are you dead or are you alive? Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, I've been crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And it goes on. In Romans chapter 6 and verse 5, it talks about putting the old man to death and rising to walk in this, this new life. And then we read things like, we're dead to sexual immorality and impurity and passion and evil desire and greed, which is idolatry. We need to understand that when Paul is writing to the Colossians, he's not writing about platitudes He's writing about things that they're living with. These are trademarks of the first century. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed. And you would look at that and say, well, those are trademarks of the, first, the 21st century, right? Those are things, those are things that, that we deal with today. If I look at the world, those things are all in the world. You see, the, the issue is that we need to understand is that Paul writes to the Colossians, Paul writes to the Galatians, Paul writes to the Corinthians, other writers write to other people in the first century, and the very same things that they're dealing with, it might have been delivered in a different form, but they're the very same things that we deal with today. There's nothing new under the sun, right? These problems, these temptations, these difficulties are things that people who've been trying to follow God have always been dealing with. Look at verse 6. On account of these things... The wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. And in them, Christians, you also once walked when you were living in them. But now you also lay them all aside. Here's some more things that were the norm of the first century and are the norm of the 21st century. Lay them all aside. Wrath, anger, malice. All malice is is ill will. You're you're hoping something bad happens for somebody else. Slander and abusive speech 
from your mouth. Don't lie to one another since you put off the old man with its evil practices. Here's what I want you to understand, Christians. When we read about uh, those sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, and and we read about malice and, and lying to each other, what Paul is saying to the Colossians and what God would say to you today is, if you're a Christian, that's not who you are anymore. You're not someone who lies to people anymore. You're not someone who has ill will for other people anymore. You're not someone who participates in sexual immorality anymore. No, Jesus is your Lord. You're supposed to be following him. These are the people that you're supposed to be like. And then in verse number 10 through 16, he gives a contrast. Okay, well, that's what the world is like. What am I supposed to be like? In verses 10 through 16, he says this, And you put on the new man which is being renewed to a full knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. A renewal in which, let me sum it up, I'm going to read it in a second, but a renewal in which it doesn't matter where you came from, it doesn't matter what you look like, it doesn't matter your background or your history. You're all one in Christ. That's what it basically says, but I'll take the time to read it to you. Verse number 11, a renewal in which there's no distinction, it doesn't make a difference. If you're Jew, Greek or Jew, if you're circumcised or uncircumcised, if you're a barbarian or a Scythian or a slave or a free man, but Christ is all. He's everything. And he is in all. He's in all of us. Therefore, verse number 12, as elect of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion. Okay, here's the difference. Put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bearing with one another and graciously, graciously forgiving each other, whomever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord also forgave you, so you should also. Verse number 12, I love this, this idea where he says, you used to be not with God, you used to live an evil life, but now you're, you're the elect, you're the chosen of God, holy and beloved. Now, doesn't that sound nice? Christian. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you've been raised up with Christ, you are holy and beloved. When I read that yesterday as I was looking over my lesson one last time and, and thinking about it, I, I couldn't help but think of John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Because of the only begotten, I get to be holy and beloved. Is that not a beautiful thought? Because of the only begotten, I can't be the only begotten. Jesus is the only one who could do that. He's the only begotten son of God. But because of him, I get to be holy and beloved. I get to be set apart, holy, for God's own purpose. And I get to be beloved. What, what does that mean? Again, beloved is not a word you probably use very often. Maybe if you're writing a, a, a Valentine's Day card, you, you might uh, use the word beloved, but probably not. It basically means the idea is you are loved by God. You are beloved, holy, and beloved. And he says again, put on this heart of compassion. All these things make a difference. And, and then he says in, in verse 14, this, this beautiful picture here, above all these things put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. And let the peace of Christ richly rule in your hearts, which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with gratefulness in your heart to the Lord. Two things there in verse 14 and then verse 16. Uh, I was thinking about things that might relate to you, things that you might understand. And I don't know if it's because men's day is coming up or, or what, but I thought about ratchet straps. I know that doesn't make sense. 
but men, when we use ratchet straps, you know what the, what the joke goes. You know, you, you tie them down as, mo- as much as you can. And then it, it, it seems like, you know, when you're doing that uh, and, you, and you, you tighten those ratchet straps down, what do you say? You pat it and you say, that's not going anywhere, right? Listen to verse 14. Above all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Love is the spiritual ratchet strap of the church. With all of our differences, with all of our disagreements, with all of our circumstances and our background and contention that might exist, above all of these things, which are good things, put on love because it's the perfect bond of unity. If we have love and compassion and care and concern for one another, even in the midst of all the things that might try to divide us, that I promise you Satan, Satan is trying to use to divide us, if we have love, that's not going anywhere. We'll maintain that unity. We'll maintain that faith. We'll maintain those relationships if we have those things. And we could say the inverse is true. If we have all of these other things, we have compassion, we, we forgive each other, we, we do all of these things, but if we don't have love, what does 1 Corinthians tell us? It's useless, right? Yes, those other things are important, but without love, it'll all fall apart. And then verse, uh, verse 16, uh, he, he says, uh, we, know, we know verse 16, you know, let the word of Christ which we dwell, dwell within you with all wisdom, wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. But what he's saying there is, hey, this, this new life that you're supposed to be living, you've got this old man, you put him to death, he, he, you've, you've buried him in baptism, you've raised to walk in newness of life, and this new life that you're living, it should make you so happy you should want to sing about it. It should make you so happy you should, you should want to sing about it. You should be happy and, and, and have that great desire. It's not just, it's not just good news. It's, it's news worth singing about. It's, it's, you know, it's the difference between a regular movie and a musical, right? A musicals are over the top, right? Uh, they're, they're, they're dramatic and, and they're, they're dancing around and, and they're not just having normal conversations. They're singing their conversations. Well, this new life in Christ should make us feel like singing about it. It should make us that happy. We should be that blessed and encouraged by that. Now, you and I, I even saw a few literal heads shaking and saying, yeah, that, that sounds good. But what I want you to understand as we enter into this last part is, is Paul recognizes that. He recognizes that everything we've just talked about, everything he's just written, it sounds really good. And he said, yeah, I want that kind of life. Yeah, I want to be that kind of person. I want to be a follower of Jesus. Yeah, we, we as Christians, we should do that. We should have that, that perfect bond of unity and love. Yo, yes, absolutely. Those, those sound like, like, like great things. We, we want that. And then I think Paul, as he enters into to verse 18 and following, he would stop and say, no, I'm serious. Jesus has really got to make a difference in your life. Because in verses 18 and following, he gets in your business. Okay? He especially gets into the business of first century Roman citizens because he's going to attack the very essence of what a first century family would look like. And I, I think I can argue that, that a first century Roman family wouldn't look too much different from a 21st century American family. So he's getting into your home. He's getting into your life. He's getting into your relationships. And he's saying, listen, I know that you like the way all that sounds, but I want you to understand I'm serious that it's not about this old way of life anymore, that, that I'm not just interested in, in you shaking your head and saying amen and, and yeah, that sounds good. I'm not just interested, Paul would say, in making a difference in your spiritual life. No, this has to make a difference in your real life. 
Because God wants all of you. Because Jesus is the Lord, not of the church, though he is the Lord of the church. He's the Lord of the church, you individually in your daily life. And, and here's what he says in verses 18 uh, and following. Let's start in verse 17, uh, 17 through 24. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And then we get to verse 18, and again, this, this idea of uh, he's going to talk about wives and husbands and fathers and children and slaves. Probably in your Bible, if you're looking at a copy of, of your Bible, especially a, a printed version, there's probably a space between verses 17 and 18. And maybe it says, mine says, family and work. There's some sort of heading there. And it's been very easy for us, maybe throughout the years, to, to separate everything that Paul's just said in the first 17 verses of Colossians chapter 3 from what Paul says in verses 18 and following. We can't do that. Everything we're about to read in verses 18 through 24 is in the context of what he said in verses 1 through 17. That old person, that old life, the way you used to treat other people, that's dead. Now this is how you treat people. Even the people that are closest to you. Even the people that you live with every day. Verse 18. Wives, be subject or yield to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and don't be embittered against them. Children, obey your parents in all things for this is pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. Well, let's stop there because that's again, for most of us, that's talking about the people that we interact with every day or, or have in the past if your children are grown. And for those of us who are married and have families at home, again, wives, be subject to your husbands. Well, that, that doesn't sound like something that the 21st century world is very interested in. And it's not this idea that, that the, the husband is the, the ruler of the home. In fact, it's very different because, again, Paul is, is attacking the first century Roman home. And in the first century Roman home, the man was the domineering leader of the home. And because the man was the domineering leader of the home, there were women, wives who we would understand, they didn't enjoy that. They didn't like that. They didn't feel like their voice was heard. So when he says be subject to, another way to say be subject to is yield to or put yourself under the authority of your husband. What, what does that mean? What does that look like? Well, husbands, you would be foolish. I would be foolish if I didn't listen to my wife and understand her perspective. But ultimately, wives, God says it is fitting in the Lord for you to yield to your husband. And yes, that's not natural and maybe not the way that we want it to be all the time, but there needs to be this good relationship. And he's challenged husbands and wives to have this good relationship. And he doesn't just say, wives, be subject to your husbands and just move on to a completely different subject. He also addresses husbands. Husbands, love your wives. Do what, do what is best for your wives and don't be embittered against them. I looked up that word embittered because again, that's not a word I use very often. Uh, and we know what bitterness is, or at least we, again, we don't use it very often, but we, we have a general grasp of something that's bitter. But the, the, the root of the word is, is not in relationship. The root of the word is taste. And you definitely know what bitter things are when you eat them, right? And when you eat too many bitter things, what does it do? Well, it upsets your stomach. Husbands, don't be embittered against your wives. Don't, don't. Don't make yourself sick. Don't, don't do things that will make them sick of you, that make you sick of them. Do what is best for them. Again, first century Roman world, the, the domineering husband 
just tells everybody what to do and everybody better serve him. And Jesus says, no, wives, be subject to your husbands because this is right in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives, do what's best for them. That's that word agape, wish and act upon what will be best in the best interest of someone else. Husbands, love your wives that way so they're not embittered against you and you're not embittered against them so that you don't get, don't get sick of each other. So you don't have this pit in your stomach when you have to go and have a tough conversation with your spouse. You see the, the beauty of that kind of good relationship? Don't be embittered. Instead, love. Wives, don't... don't Don't rebel against the leadership of your husband. Instead, appreciate the fact that he's loved you and he's trying to do what he thinks is best for you and he's listening to you because if he wants to do what's best for you, he's going to be wise enough to listen to you. And yes, that is not all of our marriages and not any of our marriages all the time. I know that. But that is the picture that God has for his marriages. Children, obey your parents. Kids, I looked up what that word obey means. You know what it means? Obey. That's what it means. It means to listen to. It means to pay attention to what your parents say and recognize the wisdom that is in it. And yes, that changes from year to year and and part of life to part of life. When you're a little child, just obey. All right? And when you're a teenager, listen to and pay attention and recognize the wisdom of your parents. And then again, that they love you and they want what's best for you. And then even as you're an adult, you still listen to and pay attention to and and heed their instructions. And eventually, in all of those circumstances, you've got to make your own decisions. But listen to and pay attention. Fathers, don't exasperate your children. Don't provoke your children so that they will not lose heart. That idea of losing heart is this idea of a broken spirit. Fathers, we don't want to do that, do we? Listen, I, I want my children to listen and follow directions. I don't know how many times. I don't know how many times. Even this morning, I've probably said that. Listen and follow directions. Sit still and be quiet. All these directions. But don't, don't exasperate your children. Don't break their spirit. I don't want to break the spirit of my children. I want to build them up. I want to encourage, I want to, I want to strengthen their spirit. I want to guide it in good and right directions, but I want to strengthen their spirit. Sometimes fathers, maybe especially fathers, we get so enthralled with the idea of obedience. We forget the idea that sometimes we can break their spirit. If we break their spirit in our home, then their spirit will be broken at school and at their jobs and in their homes one day. Fathers, we've got to be careful about that sort of thing. Verse 22, he continues and says, no, really, I'm serious, not just in your home life, but even in your work life. Slaves in all things, obey those who your masters according to the flesh, not merely by eye service as men pleasers, but with integrity of heart, fearing the Lord. He says, listen, slaves. And what does he mean by slaves? He means slaves. Just like you and I would think of slaves. People who have no rights, they're just slaves. And he says, Listen to and obey your masters in all ways, not just as pleasing them by the eye. Not, don't just work hard when they're looking at you. Work hard all the time as if you're serving the Lord. Well, that, that, that's a terrible circumstance to be in, isn't it? And Paul doesn't say that's not a terrible circumstance. He just simply says, in that terrible circumstance, do the right thing. He says, I, I'm serious about this. I'm serious about this difference that Christ is supposed to make in your life. And then he wraps it all up in verses 23 through 25. Whatever you do, do your work heartily for the Lord 
rather than for man, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. And notice this last phrase in verse 24. Serve the Lord Christ. In Colossians chapter 1, he says, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. In Colossians chapter 2, he says, you need to walk with the Lord. In Colossians chapter 3, he says, if you've been raised up with Christ, then walk with the Lord. And then in the rest of chapter 3, he says, and that's, this is what that looks like. And then he says, no, I'm serious about it. This is what it looks like with your spouse to walk with the Lord. This is what it looks like with your children, with your parents, with your co-workers, with your neighbors, with strangers. This is what it looks like to walk with the Lord. And they're supposed to make this big difference in your life. So my, the question for you, the question for the Colossians was, has Christ made a difference in your life? How do you treat people? How do you interact with people? How do you show people the love of Christ that you've received and that you can show also to them? You know, we think about our relationships with our spouse and, and maybe things could always be better. We think about the things that we want with our children and maybe things could always be better with our coworkers, with our boss, with our employees, with, with everyone and anyone. How are you living your life with these folks? See, whatever you do, whatever you do in all of these relationships, do it as if you're working for the Lord. Treat people as if you were serving the Lord Christ himself. Again, that's a challenge, isn't it? And we knew that it would be because yesterday or last week we looked at Colossians chapter 1 where he says, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. And then he said, this Lord is the creator and sustainer of all things. This Lord is the firstborn of the resurrection. This Lord is the one who died on the cross for your sins. We knew that it was going to be hard. But brothers and sisters, let's remind ourselves like we often do, things that are worth doing are rarely easy. Jesus is worth following. It will not be easy to do that perfectly. Praise God, we don't have to do it perfectly. We just have to do it faithfully. As we close this morning, go back to chapter 2, verses 11 through 13. Chapter 2, verses 11 through 13. If you're a Christian, this is true for you. If you are not a Christian yet, this is the hope that you can take advantage of even this morning. In Christ, you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. In the removal of the body of the flesh in the circumcision of Christ... Having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. And you being dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive with him, having graciously forgiven us all of our transgressions. This morning, where are you at in your walk with God? We're told time and time again, walk with the Lord. Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Walk in a manner worthy of Jesus. Christian, Here's your opportunity to examine yourself right now. How are you walking with the Lord? What do you need to change? What, what parts of your old life do you need to let go of and allow to die? And what things that are a part of this new, blessed, amazingly, amazing sounding life that, that you're just not taking part in that you need to pick up and make a part of your life? Where are you at in that? And it's a process. It doesn't happen just automatically as soon as you become a Christian. We've talked about sanctification and that, that process of I am sanctified. God has saved me. He's made me what he wants me to be. And he's making me what he wants me to be. It's a process. But where are you at in that process? Are you allowing God to work in your life? If you're not, what do you need to change? If you're not a Christian this morning, and how do you become a Christian? Scripture tells us that you have faith in Jesus Christ. That he's the resurrected son of God. And that you're willing to confess him and name him as the Lord of your life. And you start living like it. 
And when you start living like Jesus is in charge, then you do the things that Jesus said to do. Jesus said, go into all the world and teach people the gospel, and he who believes and is baptized shall be saved. Have you been baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins? If not, why not? And if you're ready to do that, why not today? Here in just a moment, Steve's going to come and lead us in a song. We're going to stand for that song, and I'll be standing down here. And if you want to come and tell us about your needs, uh, whether you're a Christian or not, I would welcome to talk to you about that. We've had shepherds here and brothers and sisters here who would surround you and support you and love you in whatever way that you need. If you're not a Christian this morning, we would love nothing more than to help you put Christ on in baptism, having all of your sins washed away so that you can start this journey with God. But I know most of us here today are Christians. And again, the, the challenge is to follow Jesus. And if you need help with that, so do I. If you need to let us know about those things and ask for prayers, we want to help you. If there's anything that we can do for you this morning, please let us know. Let us know now as we stand and sing.